0: This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. In the story of the Lord of the Rings, Frodo Baggins is trying to destroy the one ring which was forged by the dark lord Sauron which he intended to gain dominion over the free peoples of Middle-earth. The ring had special powers and had been possession for a long time by this creature named Gollum, whose body and mind had been twisted and shaped by the ring. It allowed him to live well beyond the normal limits of his life, but at once he loved and hated the ring, calling it my precious. Throughout the story, Gollum is torn by his lust for the ring and yet his desire to be free from it. Uh, Bilbo Baggins, the hobbit, finds the ring, and for the rest of his life, Gollum is pursuing it. It's what he values above all else. There's nothing he won't do or say to try to get the ring back. But in the end, the ring destroys him. When we see Gollum in the story, he's, he's difficult to look at. And yet he's sometimes a a sympathetic figure because we all know what it's like to value something that isn't good for us. We spent too much time at our jobs and wondered where the time went that we could have had with our children. We spent all this money and all this time working on being as healthy as we can and still we get sick and old, invested a lot into people only to have them hurt us. In this this mini-series, Home Economics, we're we're just thinking about the resources that God has given to us. Uh, Again, the Greek word oikos and nomos come household and laws of to demonstrate for us what does it look like to make wise investments with the things that God has entrusted to us. And we've been using this term capitals. A capital is a, a good or asset that we have in our possession that we can invest And I've been challenging myself and you to consider what true wealth really is. How do we get true wealth? Because Jesus wants us to have the good life. He wants us to have eternal life. Not just a beautiful, glorious future with God in heaven, but eternal life that begins now where we experience flourishing and well-being. First, we consider the story of how Jesus encounters the rich young ruler, and he loves him enough to tell him to let go of his material possessions and to follow him. Jesus is inviting the rich young ruler into the good life, into the life of well-being, this life of discipleship. When we follow Jesus and we pursue him, he teaches us about this good life. Last week, we looked at the parable of the shrewd manager who leveraged his relational capital and was commended He used what he had to get something more valuable, to get more wealth, to get more of the good life. In all these stories, we're we're learning to value the kingdom of God more than the things of this world. And Jesus, being the, the best financial advisor who's ever existed, if he made the world and if he made everything in it, then he knows about our finances. He knows about investing. We can trust him with all of the resources, all of the capitals that we have. So let me review those capitals uh, again. First, we have spiritual capital. Uh, It's a way of talking about the depth of our relationship with God as a disciple of Jesus, which results in a kind of spiritual equity that we can invest into others. The, The currency of spiritual capital is wisdom. It's power that comes from hearing what God is saying and then responding to what God is saying in faith and obedience. That's spiritual capital. Relational capital is how much relational equity I have to invest. The currency of relational capital is family. It's friends. Who are those people in my life that are meaningful and important to me? Physical capital is how much time and energy I have to invest. The currency of physical capital is hours and health. Intellectual capital is the the creativity and ideas and knowledge that I have that I can leverage of faith, and I can invest. And the currency are concepts and ideas, information in the application of those ideas. And finally, financial capital is how much treasure I have to invest. The currency of financial capital is money, dollars and cents, pounds and pennies. And remember that in the kingdom, this is the order of value, spiritual capital being first and financial capital being least valuable. But in the world, sees it the other way, often seeing financial capital as the most, the most valuable. But part of learning how to live as Christ's disciple is to value what Jesus values and to make the appropriate kinds of investments. In this message, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as part of the text. It's a verse that comes from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. In the sermon, Jesus is telling us what it means to to live in the kingdom of God, in the the reign of God. So if we're going to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we have to know what that means. A theologian named Anthony Hockma describes, defines the kingdom of God in this way. He says, it's the reign of God, dynamically active in human history through the person of Jesus Christ, the purpose of which is the redemption of God's people, from sin and demonic powers. And it's the final establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. It means that the great drama of history of salvation has been inaugurated and that the new age has been ushered in. The kingdom must not be understood as merely a salvation of a certain individual or even as the reign of God in the hearts of his people. It means nothing less than the reign of God over the entire created universe. That's a big idea. It's more than just my salvation, which is an amazing thing, but it's the reign and rule of God over all that He has created, and that's what we're pursuing when we say, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God." How can I find out and learn about how God is reigning and ruling over all of this whole world? Jesus is saying that we're to seek this, we're to try to find this, to value this, and to treasure God's His reign, His redemption. And why? Why should we value this? Why should we pursue this concept or this idea that's revealed in the person of Jesus? Because God is just. God is good. God is holy. God is righteous. He, he always acts in a way that demonstrates his own glory so that we would value him more, that we would see him as more worthy and more wonderful, more glorious. God is always acting on behalf of his people to bring them to a greater understanding Of his greatness. So they would see him as more wonderful, more beautiful, more powerful. And see, then when we would value God as the most valuable, God Himself and His kingdom, the more we value Him, the more we experience His kingdom right now. It isn't something that happens in eternity, although it does happen in eternity. It happens right now. The, the, The framing of my life and how I approach the challenges that I face and the resources that I've been given are shaped by a picture of the grandness and the glory of the kingdom of God. And when I see the grandness and the glory of the kingdom of God, then I can release the resources that he has given to me, that he's entrusted to me, my my ideas, my intellectual capital, uh, my physical capital, my hours, my time, my energy to serve others, or or the financial capital that God has entrusted to me. That's why we say, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We want to see the kingdom come. We want to see God's power at work in the world and in our own lives. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When we seek the kingdom, everything will be added to us. And so it's interesting to me because in this statement where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, he's doing so in the context of of anxiety. And I don't know about you, but uh, have you ever struggled with anxiety? If you look back in that passage, one, two, three, four, seven times the word "anxious appears. Right? We often feel anxious or, or worried about all different kinds of things. How am I perceived? Will I find trusting relationships? Will I have enough resources? What's going to happen with my health? What's going on with the market? What's going on with the election? Am I accepted? All those things can bring us to a place of worry or anxiety. It seems like Jesus is saying to us as we seek the kingdom, that will help us to deal with the anxiety. Jesus tells us, he says, um, he says to the people, look, if the birds of the air don't worry and the flowers of the field don't worry, you don't need to worry either. If you seek me, you will find me and I'll give you every single thing that you need. And by implication, if you don't seek me, but you rather seek the things of the world, you'll find that they'll destroy you like the ring destroyed Gollum. And worse, you won't have me, the kingdom of God. You'll gain something that won't last, and you'll lose someone who will last forever. So we're wanting to seek the kingdom of God just in the same way we trust as the birds do. And I I remember uh, this one time I was thinking about this because it it feels like, well, does that mean that I just don't do anything? Um, Because if I just believe and trust that doesn't mean I don't have to, to work or, or to be faithful. Uh, and I was at, uh, we were at the playground uh, a long time ago at Riverdale Park. And near the playground, uh, there are these uh, poles with, with, uh, with birdhouses on them. And I just happened to be sitting there while the kids were swinging on the swings. And I, I look up and you see the bird uh, coming in and going out. Coming in with a worm and going out. And this bird was working like crazy to provide food for its, its, uh, its young And I thought, well, this bird is working really hard. It's not worrying about it because it knows if it goes out to find something, it'll find it. There's no anxiety in the bird, but that doesn't mean that it's not working hard. And so there's there's this strange balance between us striving and working diligently, faithfully at the task that God has given to us, but also entrusting the results to the Lord, knowing that when we do the things that God has called us to do, when we walk in obedience to him, that he's going to provide. It's a beautiful thing. So we're not striving and straining, we're working hard and being diligent about the task that God has given to us. And so in this series, we're thinking, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we find this kingdom? Part of it's looking at how do we make wise investments. Uh, you can look at various fields in our culture and, and see how they value different capitals. So think about uh, business for example, many of you are in business, started businesses, run businesses. Um, think about how does a business value the different capitals? Now, this is not always the case. Some uh, businesses value capitals in a biblical order, but many businesses value them in this order. So financial, intellectual, relational, physical, and spiritual. Right? It's not surprising to us that in the financial sector, The main point is to gain a financial profit. The next highest capital would be intellectual because ideas can be leveraged for more money. And off to that comes relational capital since business happens only where relationships are strong. Physical is near the bottom because it's generally acceptable to sacrifice your health and your time to work more hours. And the last is spiritual capital because it's rarely even considered to have any value at all as a capital in the business world. We've been so influenced by the business world that it's difficult for us to keep our concerns about financial capital in check. We've been trained to think that it's most important when, according to the kingdom, it's the other way. When we think that financial capital is the most valuable, then we're willing to leverage all of the other resources that we've been given to get more of it. We use up our physical capital by working late and we miss out on time with our family. We spend our physical capital at work and we don't have time to rest or for exercise, so we sacrifice our health. We sacrifice our spiritual capital by failing to tend to our relationship with Jesus or participating in the life of the church. Or sometimes we even compromise our belief to get ahead. And so eventually life stops working properly because we've we've made a foolish investment sacrificing capital that was more valuable to gain a capital that has less valuable. But the world operates in this mindset. And so that's why when people say, I'm going to move across the country for a job, People go, oh, good idea. But if someone were to move across the country to join a great community, you'd think that they were kind of weird. Wouldn't you? Say yes, because it's true. (laughs) Most people are willing to throw away a lot of relational capital for a little bit of financial capital. It's fascinating, isn't it? And we don't even question it. Oh, it's a better job. But you don't have a church. You don't have any relationships. You're going to have to work harder. You're going to have to use up all your ideas to leverage to get, to get ahead. But go and do it, because there's a little bit more money. What about in other fields? In the academic world, intellectual capital is probably the most valuable. Accumulating and passing on knowledge are seen as the highest good in some academic environments. It goes like this, intellectual, then financial, then relational, then physical, and then spiritual. It's different than business, but it's the same with the results. And academia, spending lots of money to get an advanced degree is seen as a worthy investment. Some people try to get doctorates for some reason. I don't know why they do that. I'm almost done. (laughs) Because sometimes we value intellectual capital more highly than financial capital. But spiritual capital often is still at the bottom. There's this sad example of someone who has been esteemed as one of the most bright people who's ever lived. The sad example of Sigmund Freud, who invested everything for intellectual capital. Listen to the story. It's almost disturbing. So I provide it for you here on Sunday morning worship. September 22nd, 1939, Freud pulled a copy of a book called The Magic Skin, which had been written 100 years before. It's the story of this doctor named Raphael who craves recognition. He craves wealth, and it's always eluded him. He gambles away his last coin. He then sets out to commit suicide, but on the way stumbles across this magic skin in a small shop. The shopkeeper says to him that whoever wears the skin will get anything that they desire. But with every act of self-willfulness, the skin will shrink and slowly squeeze out their life. The skin is free, but the shopkeeper advises him not to take it. But the broke and ambitious doctor puts it on and immediately desires a huge party with dancing, drink, and food, and instantly he gets it. At first, he indulges all of his wishes that he feels deep within, but the more he gets, the less satisfied he is. He desires more and more, but the skin gets tighter and tighter, squeezing the life out of him. He falls in love with a woman, but his deep desire for her squeezes him even more. In this climactic scene at the end, she visits him in his room and he expresses his love for her. But when she learns the truth about the magic skin and her role in his demise, she's horrified. He can't control his desire for her. And so he rushes in, she rushes into an adjoining room to escape him to try to save his life. He pounds on the door and declares his love and desire to die in her arms. She's trying to kill herself to free him from his desire. He succeeds in breaking down the door and rushes to her only to die, squeezed in the skin, suffocated, strangled. What a terrible story. But get this. After reading this novel, Sigmund Freud calls his doctor and reminds his doctor that he had made a promise to help him commit suicide. And after two heavy doses of morphine, Sigmund Freud, one of the most successful, renowned, influential men of the 20th century who pursued intellectual capital, above all, and in the end, lost everything in despair. There's more to life than knowledge. There's more to life than money. Whatever path it was that Freud followed through, through life left him to identify at the end with a self-centered egomaniac who died, as Freud died, in abject despair. It's a brutal story. And we would look at this story and say, well, that would never happen to me. I'll never be like Gollum, pursuing something, transfixed by it, having to have it, my deepest desire. But what about the church? How does the church value the five capitals? Well, of course the church values spiritual capital the most, right? Isn't that what we value? But what do we actually value as the church? What gets discussed the most at board meetings in the church? What are our measurements of success? What is assumed to be the highest good? What is the thing that we would leverage our spiritual capital for to get more of? For many churches, it's simply to have more people in the building. If we can have more people in the room, and thereby the money that they give, then we're successful. Have you driven down the road and seen a large structure that looks beautiful and said, that's a big church. That's a great church. Look at all those bricks that someone put together in a beautiful way. That's a great church. And we have no idea what's going on spiritually inside the minds and hearts of the people. It's a wonderful thing to have more people in the room if they're following Jesus more faithfully. But having a room full of people who are simply caring about themselves doesn't make it a church. Are we valuing physical attendance the most? Are we valuing financial, uh, the tithes and offerings that people bring, and then have relational, and then have spiritual? Some traditions may value intellectual faith more than others, but what drives our church? My hope and prayer is that pursuing the kingdom of God, maturing you as a follower of Jesus to know that you are beloved by him, that you've been brought into a relationship with God, that you've entered into the kingdom, that you've been given dignity as a person who's been made in the image of God, rescued and redeemed from sin, to be restored and brought into God's family, and then called upon to grow in your faith, to to see the kingdom everywhere you go to be on mission with God and for God, to mature yourself as a follower of Christ or to be matured and then serve a hurting world, using your gifts and your abilities to care for the people who live next door to you, who work nearby, who are in our city, who struggle with brokenness and despair and hurt because you've been so empowered by Jesus. That's the mission of Woodland, and it should be the mission of every church not simply to gather people who look good in a nice suit and sing songs. As important as that can be, we want you to be a follower of Jesus, a member of his kingdom, using your gifts for the glory of God. So how does that happen? How do we mature in that process? Well, it's like we've been saying all on this series. You leverage the capitals you have to gain the capital you want. And if spiritual capital indeed is the most valuable, and it's, it's also the most readily available to anyone, anyone in the world can get spiritual capital. Not everybody can get financial capital, but everyone can get spiritual capital. What do you do? You leverage your time. You take time and you say, I'm going to study God's word. You leverage your relationships. I'm going to be around people. I'm going to find someone who's a little bit farther along in the journey and say to that person, can we meet every once in a while? I have a pastor in town uh, that I have a, uh, an annual appointment with. And I say, hey, brother, it's time for our annual meeting. Can I come and talk to you about life and ministry? And he always says, sure. And I have other people who invest in me, other guys that I have done ministry with for a long time. Where we're walking together through life. I'm leveraging my time because I need their spiritual capital. So what's the step that you can take? You can also leverage your financial capital. Like we grow in holiness, like John said, as we, as we give our resources. We grow in joy as we give to God's, God's kingdom. You can buy a book to study. You're leveraging what you have for the sake of something greater. So here's the question for you. And this is the same question. I don't know if you know it's the same question every single Sunday. What is God saying to you? What is that one step that you can take as a result of being in this room or hearing this message today that would lead you into obedience to leverage what you have for more spiritual capital? For all of us, we're considering, how can I give to the resources of of Woodland to to make sure that God's kingdom goes and grows through this church? But what's something that you can do as a response to what God has done? Because remember, he reveals his glory so that we would value him more. And he's reminding us of his kingdom and how awesome it is. Then we go, I'm in that. I'm a part of that. So what do I want to do now as a result of what God has done for me? And maybe it's to say, I'm making a commitment right now. You know, you don't have to make uh, resolutions only on January 1st. You can say today, I'm going to start reading my Bible in a dedicated way. I'm going to leverage my physical capital, my time, so I can gain an understanding of God's word. I'm going to finally join that group. I haven't been going to Sunday school, but I'm going to enter into it. I'm going to serve someone in my community or in my family. I'm going to do that thing I've been wanting. God has been telling me to talk to her, to talk to him, and I just haven't done it, but I'm going to do it. What's that commitment? I would encourage you on the back of the bulletin is to write it down on a piece of paper and to say, Lord, I'm believing that you're asking me to take this step of obedience, to write it down and to do it today, tomorrow, this week. To say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to do what you're telling me to do. And here's the thing, I don't know what that is. I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to hear about what he's telling you to do and when you did it, what happened. And I want to celebrate with you Because God is speaking to us all the time through his word. What is that step that you can take? What is that thing? And we're taking that step. What we're saying is we value the kingdom. We're seeking first his righteousness. We're seeking first the kingdom to glorify him because he's glorified himself in us. We invest what we have. I hope this is just a helpful tool of thinking through. You've been entrusted with all these things. Leverage what you have to gain a greater capital. You see, Jesus... uh, tells us this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He says the wise man was like the one who built his house upon the rock. He heard what God said, and he did it. The foolish man was the one who built his house on the sand. He heard what God said, but didn't do it. Notice that both times, both men hear what God said, and the wise man puts it into action. Will you be like the wise man? Will you be the wise person that says, yes, Lord, I'm gonna do this, it's risky, it's sacrificial. It's outside my comfort zone. I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it because I really feel like you're saying this to me. It's consistent with your word. <laughs> Make sure that what God's telling you to do is consistent with his word. And you say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust him. Walk in obedience. What's the one thing? And I often say this. If you've learned one thing today, then do one thing. Don't do a million things because you'll never do any of them. Just do one thing. What's the one thing that you can do? You see, in the Lord of the Rings, Gollum is destroyed. is destroyed. Because he values too highly the wrong thing. But you see, Frodo, he he values the power of good to overcome evil. He values friendship. He values faithfulness. And guess what? He's victorious in the end. When we value our capitals in the right way, we experience that victory. We experience eternal life now. So as a community... Let's live into that. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, Maturing God's People to Serve a Hurting World. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.